get going then. Okay, Cyrus, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, honored to be on a show which has had the likes of Mike Anunziata, uh, a friend of ours at Rational VC, and Mahiod, who's a founder of Sigma, a portfolio company of Rational Fund. So yeah, great to be yeah. here, man. Thank, yeah, thank you very much for joining I, I already know it's going to be a good chat because we were talking for like 20 minutes before you hit record. Yeah. <laughs> I had to pause the chat before to get started so we can dive back into it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, shout out to those two guys. They're both legends. Um, I want to start the conversation by learning about the challenges that have shaped your life mm -hmm. because you have, from your writing, um, it's very authentic and I love it's very nice to read because I can tell that it's coming from it's got passion in it and you've got a lot of strong opinions which I like um, not to say you're like overly opinionated like I feel like you're open-minded to changing it but when you have it you're strongly opinionated which I think is good mm -hmm. um, but yeah what was your I know you moved from Iran when you were five can you tell us a bit about that and specifically the challenges and how they shaped you yeah, man. I mean, to, to keep it short, because I, I write a lot online about kind of, or sometimes about my upbringing, but raised in post-revolution Iran, moved to England when I was five, kind of low-income low immigrant life, uh, went through the struggles for a few years. And then, I mean, it's the classic case of, I think, Thatcher, who said the best thing you can have is great parenting and no money, um, which causes you, and also going through, I mean, recently, uh, I mean, to, to touch on the, by the way, this podcast, it would be like my, this, it's a sign of how my brain is, which all my friends tell me. It's like my mouth can't keep up with my brain, which is going in like 50 directions. So I'll try and articulate things well. But uh, my, my co-founder, Iman, he said this recently, which I, I, I mocked him and said, you're a therapist for this observation. But he observed that he said people like you and even more so people like Nassim Taleb, who, you know, has influenced a lot of our brand, uh, like his ideas and philosophies, along with Charlie Munger. Uh, Iman said people like Taleb because he came from like war-torn Lebanon, like an environment of uh, turmoil, disruption. And he, when you move to the West, you have this, maybe it's, it's, this is like therapist talk, but you have like this maybe feeling of rejection or, um, and then that's why you also struggle to report into people in like a typical nine to five work environment or you just don't want to answer to anyone or online the way even Taleb writes, whether it's his books or on Twitter or whatever, just absolutely no filter, pure authenticity. Um, and then that's just how I've been. I mean, it was suppressed for a few years when I worked in investment banking, but that's why I felt in, like immense friction when I was in that space. So when I left, it was like letting, a, you know, like freeing an animal out of a cage into the mm -hmm. wild. And so since then, it's just basically no filter. And even now when I'm in, I'm working like, you want to call it a quote unquote corporate job at Tesla, which is, we can discuss that later as well, still have like, now I just have absolutely no filter. And I think living an inauthentic life is, uh, it's, I think death is better than living in an inauthentic life. Um, again, this to most, it might sound extreme, but I don't know, to me, maybe because of my upbringing of the struggles I faced. Um, and yeah, maybe it, it, I think it's just an immigrant thing. When you come from an environment of kind of uh, BS and turmoil and disruption, then when you come to somewhere like this, you just you're you're, you're not very uh, I don't want to say cooperative because I'd like to think I'm very cooperative at 
in the right instances, but just you reject bullshit. You don't have patience or temperance for bullshit. So mm. you just speak your mind. You're very authentic. And I think naturally that's what formed uh, the three core values of not, o- not only of Rational VC, which is our brand, uh, rationalvc.com, but also my personal values and the three values are authenticity, truth seeking and long termism. And it's three things. Uh, I mean, things like long termism, because short termism is so rife and rampant in today's world that even catch myself sometimes in this daily decision making. I'm like, no, that's a short term decision. You're, you're making like a BS decision there. It needs to. How would you make this long term decision? Uh, which goes back to a lot of like Charlie Munger's philosophies of delayed gratification. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I don't want to go on too much about the life story because I've ri- written about it here and there online. Um, but in a nutshell, it was immigrant struggle. And it's a something, something classic saying of, you know, hard times create strong men, blah, blah. But I still think I have, like, compared to, I mean, we're very privileged. Like, we have rose-tinted glasses or we're in a bubble. But when you compare to, like, the struggles people go through in... Oh, yeah. third, third world parts of the country or like I'm, yeah. I, I don't discuss politics but what's going on in the Middle East right now and uh, irrespective of which side or just people who lack any any sort of stability or they, they, they don't even have the basics of you know electricity or food or water or whatever so I think when I say struggle really it's uh, it, I would say it's a type of struggle which is not even that extreme it's, it's quite privileged but yeah. it's, it's the right amount of stressor, which, as Talib says, makes you anti-fragile, where, you know, let's say you're jumping out of a window one meter. Well, if you keep doing that, it will strengthen your legs probably. But if you jump out, I don't know, 20 meters, it'll break your legs. So mm-hmm. a, a bit of stressor is good to the right amount where it doesn't break you and makes you stronger or anti-fragile or whatever you want to call it. Mm. Yeah, that's. I've never heard that Magnum Thatcher quote. quote. I think that's how I grew up with great parenting and no money. And I went, it was a whole journey for me as I grew older from being resentful of other people who had had it easier to now full circle, which is a, those are the perfect conditions where my whole life is now a challenge, which makes Mm -hmm. it fun because I need to build everything, which I love. And then also, as you say, like, as you grow up, I guess you, you start to see more of the world and you're like, even if you're at the bottom of the pile, Mm -hmm in a country like the UK or anywhere in the West, you're still like so much privileged versus other several countries. And if you zoom out even further, and this is a bit too far, but the chances of humanity happening, of course, you can just sit back and be like, well, this is incredible what's going on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I was born in a city called Shiraz, which was the capital of the old Persian empire, the Achaemenid empire. But I always say born in Shiraz, made in London. And, uh, I'm forever indebted and in gratitude to the UK, which, you know, we could talk about all of its problems today, but uh, I always say I've genuinely, genuinely won the lottery of life, though the fact that, um, I mean, right now, you and I have realistically, compared to most people, compared to, let's say, 99% of society of the world, we have more opportunities open to us because not only do we speak British native English and I, I actually do think having a British accent is, is a competitive advantage on its own. Um, I mean, if you do some business with the US, you'll understand. But w- whether it's that or whether it's, okay, you were raised in an English-speaking country to begin with um, and one of the, uh, I guess, most modern Western nations, 
and everything that was around us growing up and the fact that we have access to the internet um, and we know how to use it. I think we've we basically won the lottery of life. So, yeah. Yeah, that's so true. There's a, um, I'm not sure, have you ever read Operating Manual for Spaceship Earth by Buckminster Fuller? I haven't, no. Wow, that must I'd be. Love to, I'd love to read it. I'm going to write a lot around it because I don't think anyone really talks about it. And it's the, it's such an incredible mm-hmm. piece of writing. And it like led to the whole Earth catalogue, which inspired like Steve Jobs and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I just found it from a weird like chat GPT rabbit hole when I was trying to do the storytelling for my agency and like work out one of the values is like always think of the Earth as a spaceship and like, is this going to help the spaceship or not? And I was like, has this ever existed before? And there's a whole trail of thought from Steve Jobs, Buck, James Dyson, Buckminster Fuller, then back to like George Orwell and like <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this idea has been going all the way through that. And when that when I heard that, it was like, if this has lasted this long, it must be close to the truth because yeah. it's lasted the test of time. And then I got um, very excited about it, and that became like one of my values. So I was wondering. How do you treat your personal values and like rational VC values? Are they the same? Are they aligned? Or do you have like slightly altered the, the VC? No, I mean, they're, they're the exact same because I think, again, like I, I find most of almost every corporate environment total horseshit, which is they put these values on their page and smiley mm-hmm. chummy on their careers page or whatever. These are our values, these are our values deck. But realistically, I think, I mean, in the direction we're moving towards in the world anyway, which is more solopreneurship and uh, with more automation and AI, which I think is actually a very good thing, which uh, Matt Rid- Lord Matt Ridley, who's actually actual Lord from the Lo- House of Lords, uh, Lord Matt Ridley wrote a phenomenal book, The Rational Optimist, uh, like over a decade ago. And in this, he, uh, in a nutshell, spoke of uh, the history of the world, what beautiful times we live in, and the direction we're going in with more automation in the future. And he called a lot of what we're kind of starting to see now with AI and how that it's it will actually be a positive for the world because when most of these mundane BS jobs are taken away, then all that's left is creativity and doing, I guess, in my version is doing what feels like play, which is what Naval Ravikant talks about. Um, and on our podcast, there's always these memes of take a shot every time I mention Naval, Taleb, Munger, or any of these uh-huh. people. Because, uh, but, but yeah, I think um, we... Uh, trying to lost my trade of thought where, where you asked me yeah i was i was values I, values I was sorry before that i yeah, was yeah. asking about first i was asking are your personal values aligned with like businesses that you run like do you just have the same blanket values that you use yeah yeah it, it's the yeah. exact same and as i was saying it's uh, on corporate pages companies have all these bs horseshit values but really we're moving towards solopreneurship uh, and yeah. in the model of uh whether you like it or not this you want to call it attention economy mm-hmm. so uh, as Naval talks about productizing yourself and it comes to the, the roots of that is being your authentic self. Yeah. So the core values are really, it's, it's the same as my personal life, just as I said, authenticity, truth seeking and long-termism. Those three really form most of, you know, underpin um, everything that I do, whether whether it's myself or rational and really uh, rational is productizing, productization of myself and my co-founder Iman. Um, so you businesses are moving more towards a case of it's a representation of one or two people or maybe a group of friends or whatever you want to call it who are just doing what feels like play essentially and so yeah. if it is going to be some typical corporate like horseshit values page then mm-hmm. people will see through it and i don't think it's it's a long-termist view on 
and also like life is too short to just be uh like just fake or in inauthentic um so yeah i'd say they're the exact same um and yeah yeah um i'm really interested i actually left my corporate job two months ago so congratulations thank you very much you were both full time so i've got a lot of very strong thoughts about um the corporate world and i think yeah, one yeah. of this podcast more darker goals is to tear down the corporate world but mm -hmm. not today <laughs> but i just remembered when i was bringing up the article um the bit that was interesting that you might find interesting is that he talks about the origins of like, the education system and when and at, to talk about this he it's about pirates mm -hmm. so when people started building ships that could travel the world only a small proportion of people were able to do that and they built navies and they became people who ruled the world mm -hmm. because no one else could navigate the seas and the seas yeah, yeah. had untold fortunes and they had no laws and mm -hmm. it was free you could do whatever you want on the sea and if you go to that article and replace pirate with an online person and the sea with internet it's exactly the same thing it's yeah. exactly the same like people who learn to master the internet now because not yeah. everyone is trying you have untold access and like power to watch do what you feel is right which is very cool yeah yeah and i mean even like the classic case of i mean a lot of what, what we do at rational vc is optimizing for going back to the whole naval ravikant thing like when his og podcast and twitter thread came out on how to get rich oh my god um so I, I was at the time I was so, I mean, even now I still probably listen to that three and a half hour pods quarterly, yeah. like, or something as, as a reminder. one thing I always come back to. I've yeah. Yeah. Out, like many times it's all around the house. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, at one point I had a huge post in my previous space. I had like a huge poster of it on the, like a visual I bought off Gumroad and printed it out, which was like yeah. a summary of the entire podcast, yeah. but, uh, this is like ultimate think boy mode, as they say, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, that 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 whole Naval thing really from like four or five years ago around the leverage uh, of like code, media, capital and labor. Uh, labor, I'm not really as interested in because I still find it, as Taleb says, it's like a form of slavery. Like uh, you're not just a slave by being an employee. You're also a slave if you're a master of people because you still have people to answer to. Um, um, and so true freedom, autonomy and independence, which is what I really care about, um, that comes from uh code media and capital now it could come from any one of them but i said how can we basically have a finger in each pie uh and so media we started the podcast as i was saying to you before this it was really three and a half years ago i think roughly now uh, it was selfishly to speak to kind of big shots or interesting people or people we genuinely wanted to speak with but i knew myself how annoying it is when someone says i want to pick your brain or let's have a coffee um but human beings love to talk about themselves um it's just uh, a great book is actually influenced by Robert Cialdini uh, influence oh, yeah. the psychology of persuasion. It's actually, I believe Charlie Munger's most gifted book. Oh. Uh, so it, yeah, it's, it's a great book, but also um, so in that, in that book, uh, what were we talking about again? It was, it was, yeah, the, the leverage of code media capital yeah. um, pod, podcast. I was like, right, let's do for media. Let's do podcast because, people love to talk about themselves we'd love to meet these people and uh, most people like with the correct outreach methods most people will agree to come on mm -hmm. so that's and then that kickstarts social proof once you've had some big names on mm -hmm. and that's what robert Cialdini talks a lot about in influence how the human brain is so fickle 
Um, and I didn't expect that just by having a few big, and this is, I had a tweet on this kind of a mini essay on Twitter around why venture capital is actually bullshit because it's pure. I mean, most of the world runs on perception and social proof, but the VC and Silicon Valley industry, like a hundred X of the normal world, you get absolutely high off social proof and perception. Mm. And so just after having a few big names on, we were basically like raising uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars to invest in startups from LPs who lacked access to such deals. Oh, so wow. we started to get access to the deals through the podcast and the network we developed through the podcast. And then we had access to them, but not, not the capital to invest. And then people who like British family offices, high net worth individuals, exited founders, they were like, we have the capital. And then we're obviously the facilitator and we can talk about a rational fund later, which is like our VC arm. So then that was the capital piece of code media capital. Uh, so we've got the media ticked off. We've got the capital ticked off. And I would say we haven't even scratched the surface or even started yet with those two. We're just really warming up. Um, I, I see that as my life's work, uh, the whole rational VC thing of media and capital. And then I would say the code, uh, I was not a technical person by trade. Uh, I was basically everything but but technical, basically, you know, uh, background investment banking before that. After investment banking, I was steeped in startups, but on the non-technical side, on all things like the business business side of things and sales and uh, non-technical product and all of that. And then prior to banking, is I was always basically just mingling businesses, but never really technical. Um, so, and then the whole Naval thing, really, because I was always thinking about code because I was making very, very shitty websites when I was a teenager, mostly no-code stuff, a bit of HTML, CSS, but mostly no-code. And then I was—I always wanted to pick this skill up before I get older. And then Naval really gave me the kick up the ass with the whole code is one form of leverage. So he actually talks about you should learn to build first. And then eventually, as you get older, learn to sell. Um, mm -hmm. Because it's harder to learn building later in life. Uh, and I can confirm that. Because it, it just gets harder. Like when you're younger, building is much easier. So regardless i ignored that part i was like i have to learn code before i get any older and i think this decision was made my mid to late 20s um so yeah embarked on a journey of like essentially uh self-study uh like autodidactism which is another gripe i have with like traditional institutions i got into a top uh american like top 10 global computer science program and then just basically didn't do it like after a little bit just I was like, I'm deferring this. And then I deferred. And then I just, because I had the offer and then I didn't start. I was like, I'm just going to drop out of this without even going to the first class. Because over the course of that time, my worldview changed a lot around education, a lot of the bullshit I was seeing. And I was getting from people in the course, I was getting some insight into the course material and stuff. And it's just very outdated, impractical, like credentialist bullshit nowadays. Um, of course, not if you're if you're going to become a medic, like my younger sister, she's studying medicine or law, or maybe with exception, things like maybe there are a few subjects, which sure you have to go to uni for, but something like tech or computer science or machine learning, uh, which is changing so fast and rapidly, you've got to be on the cutting edge. I think sure there are some foundational principles, the theory, which you can always learn online, but um, yeah. So I was like, forget this university thing. I'm going to do go the autodidact route, which is, how my brain works anyway it's just always going down deep rabbit holes online to the point you know my my friends mock me and call me a rabbit basically at this point so yeah uh, i was like i'm gonna learn the code and then 
mingled, built some open source stuff, uh, worked in startups doing like code engineering and product. Um, and then I had an opportunity basically just, just took an asymmetric bet as Taleb says, just, uh, file an application to Tesla. It literally took like 30 seconds, I think. And then they came back, started interviewing, um, and then got an offer to basically join Tesla as a senior software engineer, which is in a team with, uh, which I'm actually very blessed with a British manager building a lot of zero to one products and leveraging a lot of my generalist skills, um, rather than like just specializing in or being like a, just doing one tiny thing. Like I don't know, most people in Facebook or Amazon or Google do those kind of things like very specialized. They get assigned tickets to work on one tiny feature and friends who have tried hiring Google engineers are very disappointed by them all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I joined Tesla basically. So, uh, and then I was like, I, w- I want to learn around the best technical people and they are phenomenal. Um, and so that's the code piece of the three, uh, you know, three branches of leverage being code, media and capital. And I guess the code piece, it just gives you a skill where, I mean, there's a big indie hacker community online of people like Daniel Vasalo and Louis, who have the smallbets.com community. Um, those guys are awesome or like Peter levels or Mark Lovin. Uh, there's a bunch of guys who are indie hackers online and just completely independent, very anti VC with a laptop here, there, different countries, just hacking away, having fun. Yeah. And that's literally like the perfect example of what Naval was talking about, how code run code earns money for you while you sleep. Like, yes, it wasn't overnight for those guys. Um, but I'd like to say that now they work like they don't work as 10% hard as like someone I'd say maybe stacking shelves in a supermarket or something who it's not, it's not about how hard you work. Like as Naval says, the guy running the grocery store works like 12 hours a day and he's absolutely shattered when he gets home. Mm -hmm. Um, but with a few years of grinding on code, you get to a point where you can earn some money, uh, just by coding projects. And I actually think code is a much better form of leverage than media. Um, I believe it was Patrick Ryan or Paddy Ryan, who is a close friend of ours. Um, he's the co-founder of Odin, which is like the UK version of AngelList, but I'd say even better. I'm biased because we are investors. They're a portfolio <laughs> company at Rational Fund. Not um, but yeah, yeah, but they're the leading, essentially they, they are the leaders in the space now in UK and Europe for like building your syndicate and uh, investing in startups and everything. And Paddy Ryan is the one who said, I believe in a tweet, not long ago, he said, code is a better form of leverage than media because with media, um, and I've actually had Paddy on the podcast with Mary, the two of them co-founders, it was like a two and a half, three hour episode if anyone wants to listen to, to that about Odin's story. But the re- I, I agree with what he said that code is a better form of leverage than media because with media, you have to keep creating content, right? So with code, of course, there'll, there'll be bugs, there'll be customer requirements of like small tickets. You have to go and like, uh, I don't know, change something in the code or whatever. But generally, once, you, once you've hit this, whatever you want to call it, MVP or, uh, sorry, I mean, PMF or all these like jargon, Silicon Valley buzzwords. But once you've got people paying for you and, the, and for, the, for the product and they're happy, it runs for itself. You don't need to do much more to it. Like Peter Levels with Nomad List, it just runs for him and he earns, I don't know, six, seven figures a year. And he's building multiple other projects now. I So I agree, code is much better form of leverage than media. But... Uh, as Kevin Kelly says, the reward for good work is more work. And so, uh, you know, for me, 
when I'm when I'm doing a podcast with Iman, we've prepped it. We're doing like two, three hour discussion around the ideas from like a Lindy book and applying the principles and ideas to business, to life. We're just dissecting it, exploring this book and having a discussion. That for me is like a, the, the, it feels like ultimate play basically uh, and everything that comes with building rational VC media and capital. So I'd say, sure, code is a better form of leverage, but to me, what feels like ultimate play uh, is, is media and, and capital. Um, and the reward for that work is just more work because people think, oh, when I achieve X, then I'll be happy. But it, I guess it cut your, your, there's no like work-life balance, like everything's intertwined. And if you're doing, if you're, if you focus on getting to a point where you can do your life's work, then that's basically the ultimate, like, uh, you've hit the jackpot. And so mm. that that's the, you're doing work, but what's the reward for that? It's more work because it feels like play. Um, yeah. and this is like mixing a lot of the ideas of like Kevin Kelly with Naval, with Taleb, with just like ultimate think boy, but like I've gone down so many of these rabbit holes and exploration of careers where even recently when I made the kind of long essay on Twitter about my Tesla offer and all of my past job experiences, uh, had, uh, Paul Millard, who is the author of the pathless path. He's like pretty much today's career. Uh, like once he co once he co-signs your views on careers, you basically like yeah. Uh, but yeah, he even he was like, "This is a great take on careers," and I was like, "Thank you, thank you for I'm humbled." Um, so yeah, it's just through a lot of trial and error, and uh, you know, similar to you, kind of disgust or hate, or maybe I have more of disgust or hate than anyone else for the corporate world. No, no, um, <laughs> and. Yeah. And then again, uh, as I said in that long tweet, like Tesla is an exception because one, I'm doing a lot of zero to one products and it will be pretty much, it's basically going to be like the last corporate place I ever work at or probably even job for that matter that I'll ever hold. Cause it's, it's again, going back to the immigrant thing. I'm not made long-term for like working for others, but this is an exception in that you become technically much stronger due to being around such technically gifted people. And you're building a lot of zero to one products where I basically do everything on those products from like Figma mockups to products to like stakeholder business meetings to front end, back end data, everything. So, and then just to wrap up on that, like I'll never be as good as the hundred X coder. And I think every team will need, for example, some hundred X coders, but then every team also need generalists as well. Um, I think one or the other is just having one of one is not good, but having a mix of both generalists and specialists in an environment where people are trying to build companies or startups. I, I usually advise them that that's the best approach. Mm. Oh, I love these conversations. It's like, I don't need to take notes throughout. There's so many rabbit holes that could, could, could go down. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, I'm actually like one, cause I've been in Germany the last few months. So uh, in, I mean, the language of business is English in, in Tesla or in like most tech environments, but even then everyone speaks like very broken English or they mix words in and stuff. Um, so it's very basic English spoken. And then two, cause I've been coding more, I haven't actually been speaking much. So, um, I, I even did a podcast recently with Iman on rational VC. I was like, dude, I'm rusty right now, but <laughs> I, I love doing it. Cause it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's more reps and. There's a lot of stuff internally in my mind. It's basically like my vomits of like my mind, basically. So, yeah, it's, no, it's cool. awesome. You're also like an encyclopedia of 
lend me knowledge. I've now, okay, I've got a list of things that we need to cover. So, yes. first of all, can you, this, I'm assuming there'll be some people in the audience who might not know what Lindy means. So, can you describe what is, Lin, what is a Lindy book? Sure. So, Lindy is, uh, I mean, you can go deep into the history if you want to Google on Wikipedia the Lindy effect. Uh, but essentially, it's an idea that was then further uh, popularized again by Nassim Taleb, Nassim Nicholas Taleb. Uh, and the idea is that Lindy is something, you know, the longer it's been around, the longer it will continue to be around. So one of the, if you want to talk about basic things of Lindy, is um, a concept of religion. Religion has been around for thousands of years. Um, and so it's very likely that it will continue to be around thousands of years from now. Or on the Rational VC podcast, we used to interview people. It was, you know, just, as I said earlier, interviewing people we have an interest in speaking with. And then after a while, I said, we and Iman had a good chat. We were like, realistically, if, if we want to do deep, meaningful stuff, and there needs to be interview shows out there, and there are some people who are phenomenal at it. I mean, Joe Rogan being one of them, you doing an awesome job. There's lots of people. But I, I, I got very bored and tired of like just speaking with people uh, and all the headaches that come with it of like trying to, because now I'm very busy and trying to get hold of very busy people and all that stuff. Yeah. Like they agree to come on, but then you're dealing with their assistant. Like it's a billionaire. You're dealing yeah, with his yeah. assistant and they're always traveling. And, and I was like, realistically, even if we finally get this guy on, yes, it does wonders for our like social proof, which I spoke of earlier. But how can we create something which is, feels like true true play and also withstands the test of times so an interview with a billionaire someone will listen to but realistically how many of those have you gone back to listen to again two years from now yeah um, that's very true um, so, so even the naval thing that you and i both go back to and i listen to quarterly is how to get rich episode that's a lindy episode mm -hmm. like it was relevant four years ago it's still relevant today it will still be relevant, I'd say, 10 years from now. But yeah. um, I'm trying to get people to, like, there's, a, there's a, a type of person on the internet who has a personal website. They read a lot of these ideas. And because all of these Lindy concepts are, they're tried and tested across all sorts of different domains. They're like general principles that you can use across your whole life. Mm -hmm. So speaking to like you is so interesting because you've, you've, you seem to have, like, you've ingested them all so well. And that's why I'm trying to translate my excitement to the audience because these are all things like the names you're hearing are people you should read about and you should understand because you can apply them to all everything in your life. But for instance, yesterday I was getting some coaching for my agency about signing bigger clients. And mm -hmm. the guy is more experienced than me and he's saying, what do you think clients actually want? And I was like, a skill, team size? He's like, no, they just don't want any risk. And yep. an agency that's been around for three years is going to be around for another three years. A freelancer who started a year ago might decide to go and remote work in Bali and not respond for a month next month. It's not helpful. Yep, exactly. So that's an example of how that idea straight away matches with my actual life. Pretty um, much, exactly. So yeah, we did, we did the exact same with the podcast. We said rather than interviewing these people, um, what, what we were already interviewing mostly going in the direction of interviewing authors or great thinkers and not really anyone in the VC world. Uh -huh. Like we interviewed Eric Jorgensen, who put together the Almanac of Navarre Ivercant, the book. We interviewed Luke Burgess, author of Wanting, a um, bunch of others, bunch of other like writers, online writers, etc. So 
we have this deep interest on the whole brand was formed on uh, the ideas and philosophies of the Inserto series, which is a series of five books by Nassim Taleb, and also Poor Charlie's Almanac, uh, Charlie Munger's book put together by Peter Kaufman. So that body of work, those five books by Taleb and that one book about Munger, those six books essentially formed the brand or the philosophies and values of the brand. And when people are like, what do you recommend? You know, you read a lot. What do I read? And I'm like, just go read those six books because they're not even books to read. They're books to study. And you'll essentially just, they're kind of books that you have to keep going back to every year. And it's better to the classic saying of like, it's better to read a hundred books, like the same hundred books over and over again, mm -hmm. rather than just try and flex, say I've read a thousand books, like who cares? Yeah. I think you want to be a generalized computing machine. So any problem you throw yourself at in any domain, any industry, it's the same principles. You do the same thing and you get results. Exactly. And then, so the, the, those books are just by reading those, they mention so many of history's greatest thinkers that you'll then go and read their books. So they're like, it's a great starting point for anyone who wants to uh, not only understand more about, I guess, in my view, it's, it's the right way to live life and understand more about the world around us by kickstarting with those six books. Um, but yeah, I, and then we were like, okay, lend the ideas from those books. And then let's, after we've done six episodes on those six books, we go and discuss all the other Lindy books from history and books that have been around for decades or centuries or even millennia. Um, and then how could we take because this the ideas that will still be relevant today how can we apply the ideas to not only just business and our domain of vc startups but also applying the ideas lindy ideas to life so yeah we we pivoted as of episode 50 um the most recent episode episode 50 was nassim taleb's book fooled by randomness we're recording the next one black swan very shortly and then on and on once these six books are over then we go on to other lindy books from history and this is basically life's work yeah that's i think that's great strategy and great idea um and if it stands the test of time then this is actually going to bring me round to a pushback on an earlier point that you made please um i you said that code is the best of those forms of leverage <laughs> so i just want to point out a few things that make me i don't actually have a final opinion on which one's the best but sure, sure. Two things firstly media you said you have to keep posting content yet we're here speaking about that one tweet thread that Naval wrote once and everyone re-reads re that. Mm -hmm. Those people reread that every year. So it's so true and so authentic that it's timeless. So I, could you ever get that with a piece of code that's timeless? Or are you always, as it's a technology, surely you can always improve it? Yes and no. So this is a, it's a great point, actually, which comes to Taleb's book, Fooled by Randomness which is, or even a black swan event, because that tweet really, Naval would have written so many tweets prior to that, or let's talk about Taleb's fall by randomness. Taleb's fall by randomness, he talks about this notion of, um, hypothetical, let's, let's talk about on Twitter, someone will say, this is how I built my startup and raised 10 million and scaled to X and they'll flex. And then they'll write a thread and how you can also do it. It's very like prescriptive drivel. Uh, or on LinkedIn, there's a lot of this shit on, I'm on stage at this tech web summit or slush, and I'm talking about how I scaled and everyone's like listening with what, like ears wide open and like just drooling over this, like founder of like, wow, this is, you know, God's gift. 
uh, or like the, as Tyler talks about these people on like the cover of Forbes or whatever. And realistically, if we apply, so Tyler has this thing called a Monte Carlo simulation, which is, uh, it's from the field of finance, but you can apply it to the real world as well, which is, it's a simulator, uh, where you go back in his, you can basically change any single variable, um, and it will completely give a different sample path. So, um, if let's say what would be a great example. So even with Naval, right, his upbringing is very unique that he was born in India, moved to New York, but then went to Stuyvesant High School, which is one of the best high schools in New York. Um, and then his mom was working, but she was, she raised him very well. She said, after school, you must go to the library every day and stay there for six hours or whatever until I come and pick you up. And then he's around books, he's gaining knowledge, he's going to a good school. And then naturally, because he's reading so much, he knows everything about everything during his teenage years and then goes into business and startup. Like, the serendipitous nature of all the bricks and paths. Like it's a great name, your podcast, actually, the, the whole notion of brick fiber. And we'll get onto that as well. Um, but if you change any one of those things in like Naval's path or even any of the things on his Twitter journey, then we would have never had had maybe that how to get rich uh, like tweet thread. So when people say these are all the things, like when a founder says, this is how I did it and this is how you can do it, right? Uh, and this is how I raised 10 million and became a unicorn and then whatever, whatever. If you and I were to copy the exact same thing with the exact same timing of the market as they did, everything the exact same, it's still like highly likely it's not going to go uh, as well as it did for them. Or okay. it could, in an unlikely scenario, go even better because the world is like infinite random variables outside of our control. Uh, and so if one is to say, yes, Naval has this thread that we go back to, sure. Um, because I, I've actually thought that as well, but then how many other pieces of content do we really keep going back to? Okay. But here's now where I'll push back again. Sure. I see those threads about, I did this, here's how you can do it. They're deeply flawed because I did this me mm -hmm. and here's how you can do it. As if, if you follow the same formula someone else did with completely different life, sure, sure. it would work. So that's someone, if this is the center of knowledge. Mm -hmm. They've learned from the same center, but they've come over here. And that's yep. their specialized knowledge that is not applicable anywhere else. But Naval's thread, in my opinion, is more closely into here. Sure. So I'm saying in terms of content, if you can get into this sphere, does it then become timeless? Given that there's other forms of content, which definitely isn't timeless. And sure, sure. Of it but that, 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 that's the whole notion of fall by randomness, right? Which is just because there's a one out there it means that, uh, so our argument is just because there's this one, or let's say there's a few, but in our in our case, we're saying there's this one tweet thread by Naval, which is like the goat thread of all time. And we keep going back to, which even a podcast and a book came of this tweet thread. That's how awesome it is. And you and I listen to it quarterly, this episode. We're like, this is the best thing ever. There's an example of why media is a better form of leverage, but that's the whole notion of fooled by randomness that then you and I would be fooled by that random event of that one thing becoming so great. Uh, or yes. it's like someone will go and be it, build a, I mean, you, you're, you're very a big fan of the whole deep tech space and your business is in the deep tech space. Let's say a deep tech startup does something really phenomenal and just breaks all barriers in terms of innovation in the world. And then, you and I, uh, let's say, looking at that and saying, you know, we could do something similar. And uh, that's a great way of building a deep tech company. 
and we follow the same path, it's highly unlikely it'll turn out the same. And you and I, in that case, would also be fooled by the randomness of the world and that company reaching such monumental success. So it is, it is, his tweet thread is, it's goated, if I were to say, but uh, to say that just because of that one thread, it's a better form of leverage uh, would be that we are fooled by randomness in a nutshell. But then again, I, I, I try to keep an open mind. I could be, again, I could be talking completely out of my ass by saying code is a better form of uh, leverage. Um, it's based on my observations of what I've seen the last few years and speaking with people um, and people who are even much more steeped in code and media than I am. Um, and also just my observations. But it goes back to kind of what you said earlier, which is a classic, like it's a meme at this point, but strong opinions loosely held. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I would be absolutely uh, with, uh, you know, more evidence be willing or, or more research be willing to completely change my mind on that. But well, we, I think we'll find out if, if you continue down the route with your current podcast, if I'm if my theory is right, that if you produce content in the center of knowledge, it's timeless then your podcast will become timeless and it will be shared. I so hope so. We're going we're gonna to be able to test that one out for real life. Exactly. Um, Another way to look at it, actually, just to wrap that segment up, is on uh, also Taleb's notion of asymmetric bets, which is if you place lots of bets, and this is where Daniel Vasalo and Louis, who we know well from uh, Twitter, uh, they, they have built this small bets.com kind of community for indie hackers and builders. And they, they are very anti-VC and anti-Y combinator and anti that stuff because yeah. their notion is like, why the hell are you going to go and live this glorified ramen lifestyle for like 10 years, live in a basement on a mattress on the floor? And then even if you if you go look at like Fall by Randomness or to what Talab talks about, it's very likely none of these startups are going to work out. It's not to say don't swing, but yes, the world does need people with like the Elon Musks of the world. But for the most part, the average bro who's just trying to make a buck and just be independent and they don't actually know what they truly want. It's a, a lot of it is driven by mimetic desire mm. um, and mimetic desire. We've had a Luke Burgess on the podcast, author of the book Wanting, and I highly recommend this book. And Wanting is a phenomenal book, absolutely phenomenal book. And Luke is an awesome guy. And the book is around the ideas of René Girard, French philosopher. Uh, who was actually a Stanford professor. He passed away a few years ago, I believe, at the age of 95. And he, René Girard, so Luke Burgess kind of popularized a lot of René Girard's ideas or brought it to people's uh, front of front of mind. And the ideas of mimetic desire or mimesis stems from the word imitation, which is human beings don't actually know what they truly want. So some examples that I think Luke gives is like, three of your friends sign up to run a marathon suddenly you have an interest in running a marathon as well. Or like, let's say your friend group, most people are starting to get married. Suddenly you'd never thought about marriage, but then suddenly it's on your mind. Just tiny examples like that. And then all the way up into the, like the big decisions of life, like even bigger decisions, I would say. But um, so humans, yeah, humans don't actually know what they want. So the typical person who's going for shit, like I want to go get into YC, like nothing wrong with YC. I'm, I'm a big fan of YC myself. Or like, I want to raise from VCs, sure. But why? Because for most people, it's a mimetic madness thing of they see all these announcements on LinkedIn and Twitter and they think this status, this signals status. So they're chasing the complete wrong thing. Um, and I'm going back to Naval again, like 
seek wealth, not money or status. And so all a lot of these people are just seeking status, just bullshit flexing on Twitter. And almost all of these startups, when, once you get to know the scene and you're in the scene, they're all struggling. Like they're not making a single penny. They're loss, heavily loss making. And it's not a way to live. So what Daniel Vasalo and Louis from smallbets.com say, and they're awesome on Twitter. I recommend following both of them on Twitter. What they say is, rather than living this ramen lifestyle, how about you? They, they've applied basically Taleb's idea of asymmetric bets, which is where the name small bets comes from. They've applied the ideas of Taleb to startup building, which is rather than make like devoting your life to this one company for five or 10 years and then having nothing to show for it. And then suddenly you're a 40 year old and you can't afford to have kids and like, just it's, you, there's some decisions that will impact your life forever. So rather than taking this path, why not just build lots of small bets, which is, you know, um, idea of like gumroad.com by Sahil Lavingia. He built that over a weekend when he was younger. So if it didn't work out, he'd shrug it off. He'd like, I just lost a weekend there. Who cares? Uh, mm. And I and I improved my coding a little bit and learned about a new market, but didn't work out. The downside is capped at he lost a weekend. Mm. But the upside could be potentially infinite. As in, in his case, Gumroad has been a huge success now and now is a very profitable company. So the idea of small bets or asymmetric bets, which originates from Taleb is throw a lot of darts, like darts that have a low downside, like your loss is limited. But then the upside could be potentially infinite. And this is also the notion of venture capital, which is you'll invest in like 50 startups. Realistically, probably 40 of them will go to shit. Uh, five of them will do really average, like maybe a one to two X return. Uh, two or three could do pretty well. And then one could be a home run, like, I don't know, IPO from your pre-seed angel investment. Even it's not even one in 50. It's It's much worse than that, but uh, it, it differs, but even then, some people have success one in ten investments of their ventures or IPOs. For some people, it might be one in a hundred. Who knows? But that's that's the whole randomness thing as well, right? Which you can't attribute. Like, there's so many things around us we can't attribute. So, like, yeah, it just just to wrap that up, I'd say the best way to my view on like building startups. Yes, we need if if you are in a privileged position to be able to build the big companies like Elon Musk and swing for it where after 10 years of completely failing, you'll still be fine. And that, and you refuse to do otherwise, sure, go for it. But for the mere mortals and most people who want, want some peace at the end of it, because really everything we're doing, we want to achieve peace at the end of all this, then I would say asymmetric bets is, is the best way to approach it. Mm. Yeah, that's very cool. This is going to be one of those podcasts where Someone's going to have to take notes. And now there's a, a lot of research to go in, dude. There's lots of rap work going go down. Um, yeah. It's interesting how we're both taking a similar approach with our businesses in terms of I've got the podcast, which is supporting um, my main company. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to do like a bit of content and a bit of the actual work itself. A alongside that, I'm also growing a DJ brand in London. Um, which is at the moment, it serves its own value in terms of I'm not drinking at them. I go and I'm sober so I can, it doesn't interrupt my week too much. I get to meet lots of people around like the Mayfair music scene, which as you can imagine, there's some influential, cool people there. We can talk about that later, but I was very deep in the Mayfair scene in my early 20s. So, uh, oh, no way. Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. In London? What sort of places you used to go? 
Uh, I mean, the, the names have changed now years ago, but it was back in the day, it was clubs like uh, Mira, uh, which I think prior to that was called like Crystal, Crystal, Mira, and then Libertines. And then um, there was a few others. But yeah, but essentially when I was in uni, I had a f- I had some friends who are promoters for like the most, you know, call it quote unquote exclusive Mayfair yeah, nightclubs. Yeah. Where like there'd be a queue to the end of the road and no one would get in, and then I'd just walk straight in past security, yeah. velvet rope up straight into VIP and the owner's booth or whatever. Yeah. Um. And so it was a good time, but yeah, I was basically part part of uh, that scene for a little while while I was in uni. Um. And it's interesting for like just observing human behavior, yeah, and cool. human psychology in, in those scenes, and uh, it's good. Yeah, I guess the more exposure you have to different environments in society, like maybe it helps you have better judgment in the future uh, or handling different human behavior but yeah Um, but i also ran a uh, events company in my teens like an under 18 events which was like uh, one of london's like biggest or it was the biggest at the time under 18s where we threw parties and half terms um and it was very profitable but yeah so please carry on so i'm interested to know about the the dj stuff yeah well there's loads of things i want to ask about there but i was just going to say that i'm i'm doing multiple things at once and I'm aware that on the internet, it's about speed and, and obviously quality, but then speed, consistency, and quantity. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm, I'm kind of knowingly doing multiple things at once because similarly to you, I'm thinking about my life's work and I wouldn't be happy if I just focused on doing a pod, two podcast episodes a week for the next year. Yep. And I wouldn't, it wouldn't make any money for a while. So yep. there's, you have to balance lots of different things. Um, so how do you think about that? Because you've got your job now, which I suppose must take up a lot of your time. Then there's rational VC. There's a podcast. You can't be pushing them all at the same speed all the time. So do you think people like us are naive or do you think this long, slow, steady approach is good? So there's, there's two ways to it. One is there's a camp who believe a lot of the Silicon Valley bros who say, unless you burn the boats and you go balls to the wall hardcore on one thing and you devote every second to that, or there's a book called the one thing by Gary Keller. Uh, if, if you're not making, if you're not burning the boats, then it's not going to work out. You don't have enough commitment to it. The other camp who are the Daniel Vasalos, And I lean more towards this camp, which is the small bets. And this is just coming from my own experience of building businesses and stuff. Uh, is that devoting so much to one thing and then you study a lot of talibs full by randomness, but yes, you could even do everything right and then it just still doesn't work out and you've suddenly lost five, 10 years, whatever. And then that also impacts other areas of your life. So mine is more of a risk management hat of, it might not be the Elon Musk, highly optimistic EAC accelerationism, we're going to take over the world lens. It's not going to be one of those lenses. It's a more sure some call it the american accelerationist bros might call it very cynical or whatever but i just call it more as the brand suggests rational or pragmatic approach with like a talebian risk management lens um and so uh my one of my favorite i'd say probably my favorite saying of all time which my co-founder mocks me because i probably i say this several times in a day now to not only myself but to everyone around me which is in life we must choose our regrets and so the, the two options you lay down, like, sure, but you could take one and then you'll have a regret of not taking the other path or you could take the other path and then you have a regret of not taking this one. 
Mm. And so there's no one right answer. Um, if you, you know, my, my personal view is uh, this asymmetric bet route is better, um, but you must choose a regret. And the regret I've chosen for now is exactly as you said, I wish I had an answer to it, but working as a senior software engineer at Tesla to improve my technical skills and learn about like a lot of technical operating is takes up a heap of time. And then you're trying to also run a household and you're kind of like living far from a gym, but it's important to get a lift in like three, four times a week. You want to meal prep and eat healthy. You also need to sleep well. You're then trying to do podcasts and podcasting is not, as you know, just the one hour of recording. The other 95% of work is when you're not recording. Mm -hmm. And then you're trying to do venture investments. You're trying to facilitate like all of these investments with like legal docs, like chase that person for capital, like that startup meeting. It's just endless basically. So it's not a sustainable long-term way to live. And I agree. And the regret I've chosen, which is that the rational VC brand has taken a hit the last few months because people are asking like, why are you guys publishing less or what, like what's going on? And so for a period of time, it has to take a hit until you can maybe work things out um, until you maybe, let's say, get some funding or you, a, a tweet I had on this, um, which is something I, I keep sending to people recently, probably one of my favorite tweets I've written in the past year or so, which is uh, just around kind of like the, the quote unquote, the meaning of life to most people, how in the West people are like, I need to find myself. And they go traveling or do like, I don't know what drugs or ayahuasca, like they do all this stuff. And then I'm like, you don't need to do all this stuff. It's, it's very simple, the meaning of life. It's uh, you basically build enough runway. You, you Firstly, you lower your burn to like, you don't need to be flexing with expensive things um, because at the end of materialism, you're still not happy anyway. And I've gone down that path when I was younger and it just it's just bullshit. So like lower your burn. Um, save up or focus on increasing your runway. So if someone saves up one, two, three years runway, whatever, you want to call it like a micro FU fund. It's not FU money, but it's a micro FU fund that gives you enough freedom for however long to roam around and play and do what you need, build what you need to build. And the idea of micro FU fund actually comes from uh, Aaron Clary. Uh, he's a really funny and awesome guy online uh, on YouTube asshole consulting is wow. is his brand name aaron clary um but yeah so it's basically lo lowering building a micro fu fund to allow you to play the game that you really want to play and then uh i would say uh then you use that independence to do the work that feels like play because the reward for good work is more work uh, which as i said earlier is a quote from kevin kelly and then when you do what feels like play and you're doing it consistently, eventually you can earn income for this online via leverage, especially because no one can compete with you when it feels like play to you, but feels like work to others. And then outside of said work, you seek a path of erudition uh, or knowledge and strength in you know body, mind, spirit, in every capacity you're improving yourself. And then lastly, you procreate, you, you, you have as many kids as financially possible because the only legacy or quote unquote legacy you should be concerned with passing on is your genes and you teach your offspring the good values erudition and strength that you picked up and then lastly the the i think it's the fifth or sixth bullet point of this whole meaning of life thing the last thing is uh you know more importantly help others 
and then it's like voila that's suddenly like the meaning of life and so people are obsessed with like i need to go and find myself in two years backpacking and it's like it's very simple if you just stick to these five things and then the root of all these five things come comes back to the five or six things comes back to the first one i mentioned which is building a micro fu fund so coming back to your question it's like you have to choose a regret either way um and the regret one may have to choose is how do i multiply my skills while earning while you know how how do i basically uh it's a it's a term i believe jim o'shaughnessy who we've had on the podcast talks about which is how do i expose myself to like more variance amplifiers um and so learning code or knowing how to code is a great variance amplifier because one could always pick up contract work on the side or you're, you're a designer mm-hmm. you know once you've had a couple of or you know big contract names you could already like the money you you'll then earn from one or two contracts will uh give you enough freedom and time after you've done those contracts to just roam around for six months mm-hmm. and then you can focus more on your brand and building and then maybe the brand and building brings in some cash flow and then you don't need to take up as much contract work then you can focus more on life's work so mm-hmm. really it stems from building up a micro fu fund while developing skills that are variance amplifiers and the end goal really is an idea of just freedom and independence it's an idea of peace um and i one of the best twitter accounts or probably my favorite twitter account uh that i follow is uh vizzy andre and uh, v-i-z-i-a-n-d-r-e-i um awesome guy he lives in romania i believe he studied previously in, in netherlands um but he lives in romania he, he's he's worked previously with like naval and jim o'shaughnessy and sahil Livingia. he's done like i believe some design work for them maybe um but he tweets a lot around this just lifestyle design and uh i don't think I always thought I was alone when I was thinking so much about just lifestyle design because I obsess about lifestyle design and thinking about these ideas mm. of how I want to shape my future and spend my free time or all my time really. And then I came across Vizzy's page and I was just, it's one of those, I was hooked. I was just scrolling through all the tweets. I was like, just mind blows. Like finally someone who understands it. And then uh, pinged him a message. You know, we, we had a couple of exchanges and he followed me and his his work is phenomenal. But a lot of these ideas are also, if you want to read more, I think someone who's, speaks about it a lot better than i do as a vizzy andre just on lifestyle design on you know going going back to some of the ideas i sort of like lowering burn increasing runway and then one has the time and freedom to basically just focus on life's work and then the life's work when you do it long enough without the pressure of needing to pay bills so like let's say you save up two three years runway or you land a few big contracts you work hard on those and then there you go suddenly you have two or three years runway and then that's it. You don't need to work those those two or three years. You don't need to worry about bills. Uh, you can sleep well, look after your health, which are then more amplifiers of your life's work, which you produce even better life's work. And then after two, three years, if you're doing it long enough and it feels like play, eventually the world will reward you for it. It's not guaranteed, but it will eventually reward you for it because the whole Naval thing of when it feels like play to you, but work to others, uh, it, it it just comes naturally and your output will be much higher than most people. So that that's the long-term route. And it's the hardest thing like uh, to kind of, even Naval says like building anything is the hardest thing. So, but like, what's the alternative? Either way, you have to choose a regret, go work a nine to five forever. 
or go balls to the wall on one company, one startup or one vision, which statistically is probably not going to work out without sounding like a doomer or diesel as they like to call it. Uh, or you take this small bets path, which then eventually gives you, you know, uh, or, or you're working a bit and then taking small bets and then you have enough runway and then you can do life's work. There's mm-hmm. different paths. There's no one right answer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, either way, we want in, in life, we must choose our regrets. Yeah, that's really interesting. And when I was in Bali, I overheard, I'm now going to make a massive sweeping generalization. So that's a warning. I overheard like in several different remote working cafes, like Americans on the phone. And they were usually like, from what I could tell from the conversation, like, like probably like a sales development manager or something. Yeah. yeah. And I already know where this is going. But please... <laughs> It'd be like, someone would be like, oh, should we finish and have a beer or something? And then I heard a guy be like, the work is not done. Sit down. And like, they're very like, and then someone was coaching someone on the phone and it's just like, have you worked all day on this? No, you need to keep working. Like they're very much like glorifying that like drive and just pure brute force, which is great. And it's a very powerful thing to have. But in my experience already from doing a few different like random things, one bit of luck that comes into one of them will cross into the others and save me six months of work. Yep. And then that like constantly happens. Whereas if you're just so focused on one thing and you become like religious just to that, you probably wouldn't notice like little um, like zoom ramps, like in Mario Kart on the side. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I mean, this is whole Vizzy Andre's whole, if you go read some of his tweets, it's about this whole notion of uh, like just the idea of being bored has become like people are allergic to it. And this whole American yeah. go, go, go kind of thing. And how I like to spend my time is just as I see in some of Vizzy's like photos or tweets is beautiful. You just see like a old man just lounging on a chair in the shade, just reading a book or doing absolutely nothing. And that's a lot of creativity happens in boredom when you're doing absolutely nothing. Like a lot of the rational VC brand was after I'd done uh, a couple of companies like bootstrap companies. And then I had a lot of free time for a period where I was spending half the time in autodidact mode, like learning to code and stuff. The other half, I was just just going for long walks with absolutely no aim, just flaneuring as, as Tyler likes to call it. And then you just have these like moments of inspiration. And this is what Naval talks about, which is earn with your mind, where one little thought you have or two little thoughts you have could, who knows, end up in five, six figure like income in your account because of this creative endeavor, which stemmed from you only coming or having that realization because you were so bored, your mind was wandering for itself. But when you're, uh, I wrote, I, if you go to, if people go to rationalvc.com slash articles slash minimalism, I'd like to think, but maybe, maybe if, if that's not the right link, you can find the right link and put it in the notes. But I wrote about this whole like financial minimalism path. And in that I mentioned the Naval quote, how he talks about when you're so busy and stressed, like especially corporate nine to five people, um, it impairs your judgment. And so like the last few months working, yes, the regret I've chosen is that my creativity isn't absolutely hampered. Um, but the upside is yes, I'm getting much stronger technically. And then that code skill of high leverage code skill will serve me for a very long time, hopefully. Um, but the regret I've chosen is that my, my creativity has been hampered because your, my judgment is impaired. I'm like so busy at work and in code and for long hours 
that I don't have this time to roam around and like just think and be creative. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, end of the day, we're human and the human soul needs creativity. And I think we need more of that in the world, which I actually think why AI will be phenomenal long-term because when so many, like my job is great, but there's a lot of bullshit jobs and people who do great work for society now, but I have empathy for them because they do like very manual labor jobs or things that will just eventually be automated. And then eventually those people could be like focusing more on creative endeavors. And in the long term, when enough automation takes place, like what's going to be left for us to do? Well, as mm-hmm. Matt Ridley was talking about in Rational Optimist, it's more creative endeavors for people. Yeah. I want to take it back to, actually back to the coding thing, just to Please. highlight something that I'm sure you've probably thought about, but um, I've d- tried to learn to code a few times, didn't really work, didn't really gel with me. And it's one of those things where I could have brute forced it, but I decided... I'm just not going to do this right now. Um, and I've always considered doing it in like a six month stint and just getting it done. I know I'm capable of it because I've done a degree yep. and mm-hmm. it was an engineering degree. Of course. But um, for me, seeing what ChatGPT does with AI, mm-hmm. um, my friend Charlie Ward, who runs Indie Beers, which is a indie makers community in London, Mm-hmm. use chat oh, I'd, I'd love to find out about that actually i'm i'm huge on the whole indie scene yeah i have to know yeah. as you were mentioning it earlier but it's really I, good. I didn't know there's a london scene yeah please yeah, yeah. please feel free to let me know more later there's some great people there it's really interesting um next time you're in london you should come down for sure um but yeah he made a i can't remember what it was he made he made some website with chat gpt and then he posted mm-hmm. about like two million views on the tweet because everyone's like well this is crazy and i was just like this chat gpt stuff I, I have a lot of things about the limitations of AI, but it is good at writing code. Yeah. And I imagine it will get continuously better. Mm-hmm. So I wonder how you think of yourself as someone who's like able to code. Is that not an, an automatable, repetitive task that will be replaced by ChatGPT? Or is there still, by being on the frontiers of coding, are you still going to be um, able to use ChatGPT to augment your workflow, but you'll still have much higher output? It's a phenomenal question um, and you're a phenomenal interviewer because these kind of questions you hadn't, like this kind of question you wouldn't have necessarily prepped for. It stemmed from our conversation, but I would say, all right, let me let me take this from multiple angles. The answer is yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, I'd say five, five years from now, AI would probably do most of my job, like, or if, if maybe even all, completely all of my job, like the, the coding aspect, right? So... Um, the founder of uh, Replit, um, which is um, Amjad Massad, um, phenomenal company. Like, dude, like it's it started off as like an IDE that you could code in, but now it's involved in AI and doing so much more. And they raised heaps of money, basically, from Peter Thiel, Paul Graham, name your big shots, basically. Um, I think it's it's one of the most exciting companies to watch. And we, we invested, a, it, it was a small check, but um, it's an awesome company. And Amjad is like on the cutting edge of this stuff. And he, he talks about how, forget like what we're talking about, which is chat GPT, ask it to do something. And then you take the code and then you have to come into VS code. And you still have to have a little bit awareness of how the thing's working to connect the pieces and fix any bugs or whatever and run commands in your terminal and your CLI. But Amjad is saying the direction it's going in, in like, 
five years with a lot of the stuff that they're building in the direction he sees things going in, it's it's going to do pretty much all of it, right? Yeah. And I just so, a, sorry to interrupt, but I just yeah. had a proposal come in from a company in San Francisco, I think, and it's yep. four grads from MIT, all like classic top of the class. I think they graduated last year and they've raised 11 million from OpenAI and it's an IDE powered with AI and the stuff it does is mental. Like you just open yeah, yeah. the thing and you can just use it. Um, it's insane. Yeah. The, the, the rate of like, uh, and speed of innovation in this space is insane. So in like five years, I think mo most of the coding aspects or all of it of my job will be taken away. And this is because like most people, including me, know high level languages. Uh, whereas Amjad said, if someone does really want to get into coding, is truly passionate about coding, learn, or you know coding, learn low-level languages like C or Rust. Mm -hmm. And uh, you'll still need low-level like low-level language developers over time. But even then, uh, so my view has been, yes, I agree. Uh, the coding, the boring, which I'm very glad about, the boring parts of like what I do will be taken away. Um. But then you also still need, if you're making some, let's say, some enterprise app, you still need awareness of the software architecture. So you give it instructions, you become a prompt engineer. It mm -hmm. spits back all this code for you, or if anything, or just in an ID, you will code, code it for you and spit out the front page and everything, DB, backend, frontend. But then you still need some knowledge of, let's say, software architecture uh, or the trade-offs of the decisions you're making and the technical stuff. Mm. let's say even those will be done taken care of another five years after that 10 years from now then phenomenal then this is why i say that currently if anyone is and you know i work around a lot of these 100x engineers where they don't really have strengths in any other area but they are they are phenomenal engineers like i'm nothing basically they they are awesome engineers but i am worried about a lot of the hundred X engineers of the world or just people who are solely technically gifted, but nothing else, because when a lot of their job will be done for them, like they're screwed and sure. Every company will still need, I always make a joke. They'll have like two or three hundred X coders in the basement, uh, just to like upkeep everything and oversee everything, um, just in case, but they won't have like a hundred of them. Like they do now they'll have two or three of them in a basement as a joke, but it'll be something like that. Maybe in the corner of the office, those are the guys who, you know, don't really speak to them. They keep to themselves. Um, so I think the direction it's going and people who have, like myself, and this some would say maybe this is biased, but I've spoken to a number of people in, in the industry, really experienced people, and they agree. If you have soft skills, more importantly, if you have business skills combined with technical skills, uh, then everyone, every every developer now who has those skills will eventually become a technical product manager. And I make fun of product managers who are non-technical because they're your typical MBA, MBA being master of being average. Um, they're just your typical MBAs, like as Aaron Clary says, they're like your typical dude bros with no, like they, they were always scared of doing the work. Um, and product managers should not be non-technical. It was never that way. As Alexis Ohanian, founder of Reddit said, the original product manager was basically knew how to do some front-end work, knew how to do some design, knew how to like do the product, handle the meetings. It's like a combination of building and selling. So I think forget non-technical PMs, they'll eventually go away. But eventually the, the they'll most developers will become 
or not most, some of them will become technical product managers, the ones who can build and sell. And then most other developers, all their skills will be irrelevant. So I agree with you. And this, to wrap this whole notion up, which is why Naval's going back to his tweet thread or how to get rich, he says, learn to build, learn to sell. If you can do both, you will become unstoppable. And so why I think a, a person, a technical person without business skills or at least soft skills uh, should be very worried. Um, and a lot of them are like, okay, I'll go and work on that. But if you, it might upset a few people, but if you've been coding since your teens or you're just one of those people who's just very good coder, not great in soft skills, it's not soft skills are not a thing you just pick up. You can work on it. I'd recommend spending most of your free time working on it. But it's like me, uh, like I'm very good with the soft skill side of things and the business side of things. And I'm not technically gifted. I, I, do, I always say I'm like, I'm not a great coder. I'm a, I, I, I see myself as a generalist. I can bring it all together. But if someone, yeah, so I, I highly recommend people work on their soft skills. But even then, they'll never be as great as someone who went from soft skills to technical. I think if someone is technical and picking up soft skills, they should be a bit more worried and actually spend way more time on their soft skills. Basically, if you're a coder, get outside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's so that's so true. Give me a second just to process. But for sure, man. Take your time. So, so whether or not your time at Tesla, talking about the merits of that, whether or not the development part gets outsourced to AI. It's still, what are the other benefits that you're taking away from that? Because knowledge itself is not the only benefit you get. Like as much as you're learning that there, I'm sure that being in the Tesla environment is also shaping you. So I'm quite interested about what the Tesla environment is like. Absolutely. So another benefit from it, let's take away the technical aspect, will be the contacts you develop. So you're going to be around some of the most gifted and talented people who have many aspirations beyond Tesla. They'll come here for a few years and then they have other dreams and plans. Yeah, Mike, so, also capital, his thing is like all the next best people, they're all in SpaceX. Pretty much. This is where Will Brewey, the CEO of Varda, who we had on the podcast and co-founder of Also Capital with Mike, who you've had on the show, uh, he came, uh, Will Brewey, the CEO of Varda, came from SpaceX. He spent, his story is super interesting. And if anyone wants to go and listen to our podcast with him, spent six years at SpaceX, I think. And then he was like, right, I've got the deep technical skills down uh, of everything around space technology or, or most of it. Now I want to learn the business skills before I take my next venture. And so what did he do? He went to like Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, like OG investment banking. And for like three years, he was in like classic investment banking. All right. And so... That's a super unique path where you've gone from a deep skin in the game of deep technical knowledge to like a charlatan environment, but he wanted to learn the charlatan environment because he wanted to become a master operator. So he learned to build first. He literally did what Naval said. He learned to build. Then he went, learned to sell in banking, which is a lot of schmoozing and understanding the business side and capital fundraising and all the other shit. Wow. And then now, and then uh, Delian or Founders Fund basically spotted him as a talent. And whatever the story was, then he brought everyone together and said, you're going to be the CEO of Vada, which is like a dream drop for someone like Will. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. In order to be like a company 
that's growing to that size, do you think that you need to have gone into that environment to become like the CEO? You know, there's like a an artist founder, I would describe, <laughs> maybe like a Daniel Ek, Spotify. Um, and then there's like the business founder who's maybe done the MBA, they've been in investment banking, they know all the TAMs and what have you. Yeah, yeah. There are no rules to like to okay. to say to say Will Brewery of Vada is successful with Vada because of that path that he took is going back to us being fooled by randomness again. Yeah, I, this is actually a really good point because I always ask yeah, myself yeah. this question, and this has been one of my worst habits listening to podcasts since when I was younger. Yeah, I'm yeah. absorbed when I realized that just because someone else had a different path doesn't val- validate or equally exactly. not validate your path. So I used to be like, oh, I did this and that. I was like, oh, I haven't done that, so I'm never going to make it. Yeah, yeah. I, I would highly advise this reading uh, Taleb's Inserto series. It's like a life-changing in your worldview of, of, of everything. But yeah, yeah he, going back to Wilbury, no, I, I wouldn't say that's that's the reason. But for his path, uh, whether it was the right reason or not, it's something, it's a decision he wanted to make at that point in time. Yeah. And he probably enjoyed the learning and made him personally feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, just like with me, like I, I never wanted to be another charlatan, uh, VC podcaster bro who basically like there's many of them out there where yeah. their only claim to fame has been and you know a lot of them have made immense amounts of money but like I read their tweets or their posts my co-founder reads it, and a few people around me read their posts and I'm like oh, this guy's just so full of shit mm-hmm. and you can see through it so like people who have only been podcasters and only been VC investors and they've never operated they don't have any deep technical skills they're yeah. just like the MBAs are like the masters of being average and just a lot of crap. So I was like, I don't want to be another typical, I want to at least sure I worked in investment banking and I worked at SVB, but I still want, uh, you know, why not, why not learn, learn some deep technical skills. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that was basically similar to Will Brewery. He took that path at the time. I was like, I see that this for me personally, this is the best path I want to take. Mm. Yeah. There's so many, it's, 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 it's cool to talk about the status games that are played because they're not immediately obvious as you grow up. Yes. Like my two best friends and I, we have a group chat and I didn't name it, but they named it Forbes 30 under 30. And I've always had a problem with that name because I'm yeah. like, first of all, once you get older, you realize people pay to be on that list. Of course. Second of all, what the fuck is that going to do for anything? It's just a arbitrary age, arbitrary number. It's, it's a piece of entertainment writing. It's ridiculous. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, I want to read out a thing you wrote about. Is, is it about thirty under thirty? What you want to read out? No, it's not. Have you got? Can you let me there? let me read that quickly, and then you yeah, can read out. Yeah, I wrote types of people. I it's a tweet from December twenty twenty two. I said types of people I avoid in tech based on my experience. Forbes thirty under thirty in their bio. Works on buy now pay later can't deadlift at least 2x body weight for reps or swears by esg dei etc any others i should be aware of <laughs> avoiding avoiding stupidity is easier than seeking brilliance charlie munger yeah that's so, yeah 30 under 30 this, i agree this one the most illogical finding in modern day vc is bankers and consultants becoming venture capitalists how do those roles qualify you to become a vc the least value add and lowest ROI activity known to any founders is having these blood snuffing vampires on your board who have absolutely zero awareness of what skin in the game even entails. 
and it continues. Charlatans <laughs> who don't want to do the work, etc., etc., etc. But I think it's yeah. good to notice because I'm not in the VC game, but having the podcast and like starting my agency, I've started to notice the social proof thing. And like someone saying they like invested in Google or invested in Uber. As I research VCs, everyone's invested in Uber apparently. Every it's year. called by randomness again, but yeah, it's it's all it's, horse shit. It's not hard to make a claim that you've done something, but nothing can ever compete with the actual work and the result itself. I mean, the the name Rational VC, our brand name, is an oxymoron in itself, and it was started on all the bullshit that we're just discussing now and more of how so much of the VC industry is just BS really. Mm. Um, there was a, if, if people go to rationalvc.com slash articles um, and they look for basically the first ever essay I wrote, uh, which was financial, uh, something like financial marketer, irrational or something, market tech, marketer, irrational, sorry, tech marketer, irrational, what to focus on. And I just ripped apart the entire VC industry. Uh, and talked about, okay, if you want to actually be a venture investor, now tying this to your brand, if you want to be a venture investor, venture should really be reserved for deep tech, life sciences, and things that are pushing the world forward in that direction. It shouldn't be for some bullshit, I don't know, your next enterprise SaaS, that if it didn't exist, the world would still go on. Or Have you seen another... Sorry? Have you seen don'tbuildasass.com? I haven't. No. I'll have to send it to you after. It's incredible. Please. Sorry, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, exactly. Like like the 5,000 enterprise SaaS or the another mattress company like Casper.com and all mm. these shitty D2C companies or even WeWork, which wasn't a, that's a separate story. I mean, that that's picking out single really shit, shit examples. But there's so many, like v, venture should be reserved solely for deep tech, for life sciences, for things really on the cutting edge that require a lot of capital. Um, like why, why would an enterprise SaaS need a lot of capital? Because you want to hire a lot of engineers and get, yeah. get an expensive office and yeah, yeah. just talk horse shit. And then after five years, do an aqua hire, which Antonio Garcia Martinez in his book, Chaos Monkeys, he spoke about his example of when he sold his startup, which went through YC and grew it a little bit. And then later sold it, I believe to, he was acquired by, Twitter and Facebook at the same time in this weird structure, but irrespective of that, let's say you're acquired by a company and he spoke of, he, he exposed the bullshit of Silicon Valley acquires and people say, we've been acquired by again, another status thing. And then they'll put in their bio exited, acquired founder, but that's horseshit because an acquire is basically that big tech company sees your five engineers as really great talent in the space and cutting edge. Um, but just doesn't want you to compete with them in the future or really you're just going nowhere and loss making but they just want the talent in your company so they're like ah, we'll just book acquire you for like three million or four million and then that's basically divide by five engineers it's basically like salary or something so mm -hmm. a lot of acquisitions are also bullshit unless yeah they they expose the numbers properly and you're reading into it um yeah. so you don't right. you don't need vc funding really for anything i'm actually very anti-vc which is a whole brand was formed on that the venture should be reserved for things that are really pushing the world forward in a very, and it's an overused term, but in a very positive some way, yeah. uh, which none of these companies are like no, no software these days really is, or no D2C brand is. Yeah. There's a guy called Sava Kanjad. I don't know if you know him. He's I'm aware of him. Yeah. Iranian guy funded by Sequoia, founder yeah. of Veed. Veed, I yeah, believe. Yeah, yeah. 
So he got rejected from YC like three times or something, and then yeah. he did it himself, and then got the company to a mad ARR. But he's part of the indie beers community in London. That's Amazing. why I met him. So yeah, he's a he's a really cool guy. Um, I do you mind if I quickly go for a loo break? I've got a question. Please, please, yeah, yeah, I'll I'll go to one as well, and then okay, we fine. reconvene in a minute. Okay, perfect. I'll see you in a minute. Nice. All good. All good. Can you hear me? Okay, nice. I think it's still recording. Yeah. Okay, so I was gonna say, given that. I don't know where to approach this thought from. Given that everyone has limited time, any company, founder, person, and people choose to direct their time into different, the way I like to imagine it is different layers of depth. For mm-hmm. instance, you could spend your whole time making the nicest front end website ever, and it could get loads of people to come there. You've mm-hmm. got nothing to back it up, so it doesn't work. I think that that has happened in content and podcasting because of how the algorithms work. Mm-hmm. I, I've, friends have said, like, don't mention it because you don't want to be someone who tries to pull someone down to get up. And that's not what I'm trying to do by this. I just genuinely see content. Where I'm like, I don't know how true or valuable this is. And it is kind of like traditional media and it's got massive yeah, yeah. headlines. Yes. Like, a CEO can have some crazy headlines and a yeah. team of people optimizing headlines and thumbnails to get more clicks. My thought is imagine if they were spending all that time to research new areas from all these Lindy books and apply it to new things, then they'd make stuff that is valuable and will last the test of time. And that will naturally get clicks instead of artificially generating clicks in the short term. But people like you and I who are maybe trying to more thoughtfully create content, We don't, because of the time it takes to put into the thought to create that content, you don't have any time left over to do the marketing and growing it in that way. So how do you think, is there a way that we can make the general populace, obviously not all of it, but bring in more people from the clickbaity, entertaining, emotional, stirring, junk food content and bring them to lindy knowledge that last test of time and will help people in their whole life how do you how do we bring them in without wasting our time on thumbnails i mean one of the one of the key things i'm worried about which is a key pillar of i guess any project or venture or anything is is your timing and so i'm actually very worried because again as you said we can't do everything at once and i want to my my eventual life's work is the rational VC podcast around the ideas of Lindy books and then also the, the fund that accompanies it. And so I'm, my concern is that right now the pace of it is slow because I'm very busy. We publish once every few weeks. And I think in terms of timing, it should be every week because that's how you with consistency and compounding, and it will eventually be one or two podcasts a week when I have more time. Um, because I think that eventually People will wake up and everything's cyclical. People will get tired of all the horse shit of what you just mentioned, uh, the shallow content, and then they'll wake up more to content like this. But then in my own mind, like I have this, I still man the argument and I say, not really, because if you study the history of human, humans are humans, like the, the psychology never changes. The human mind is very fickle. And in history, you go back, I don't know, 60, 70 years ago, there were ads on TV, take this program and you'll be slim or like you'll get abs or something or 
take my course and you'll build a business. It's the same thing today. And so this idea of like, how do we bring them towards more Lindy ideas? We don't. Um, there, there's no, it's like I, I've always been known for giving a lot of unsolicited advice to those around me to try and help them or, but it never works. So it's the same thing. Those who will be truly interested will gravitate towards us. It will be the minority. But even within the minority, you could have tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of eventual subscribers, listeners, followers, which is a lot for us and but is, is a minority of the world. And so that's enough. And Kevin Kelly himself, his OG blog post about 1,000 true, va- 1, true fans, that's all that it really does take. And I recommend you and everyone reads that article if you haven't, is uh, the notion of if you have 1,000 absolute true fans, no matter what you put out, they're consuming and they're always promoting your stuff and they're paying you money in one way or another. And uh, that's really all that it takes. So we don't need to really concern ourselves with the masses because uh, there's no way of bringing them over. And the human mind is designed in a way where it will be tricked. Even Mm -hmm. you and I probably sometimes get tricked by these headlines and these clickbait stuff, much less than your average normie, Mm -hmm. but we still do. Let, let alone them, which is like their, their dopamine receptors are probably absolutely fried. So it, there's no way. It's just a human condition, basically. And so if we do what we want to do and we keep doing it, the people that are supposed to gravitate towards us will and the majority of society won't. But there must be a way that we can play into the human condition. Like people, for instance, people don't like to be told, do they? They like to think they've discovered it themselves. Mm-hmm. So maybe, or... Someone who does it amazingly is Joe Rogan because his podcast is entertaining. Mm-hmm. His philosophy and outlook and conversations he has are very um, they're interesting. They're good conversations. Like he gets good concepts out. So maybe there's a packaging part where it depends. It depends what your life goals sure. are. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't know why, but I feel a need to, I don't know what, I just feel like, I get lots of purpose from helping people. So it's not as much as all my endeavors are about freedom. They're also about impact. Sure. Sure. I want to know a way that people can come to the podcast, learn something new, and then it improves their life basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of psychology and uh, I guess even therapists who go to study a lot of how human happiness and peace and what it stems from is, and they 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 study this stuff and i've gone down these rabbit holes of like what do psychologists study about how do you treat people with you know just like the kind of thoughts you're having like they're concerned about impacting the world and stuff the problem with most of society is they're the, the the root cause is that it's the obsession with the self um which is the opposite of what you're saying because you're one you're wanting to give to, to other human beings you're wanting to help others which is a problem I've always had as well. And I've to the point of like uh, spending so much of my limited time helping other people uh, where it got to a point of, you know, my, my sleep, everything, my health was, uh, and, and then it got to a point of, right, I need to just selfishly for once help others less. Um, but yes, the eventual same, same as you, like deep down, all I want to do is always, I still do help a lot of people. And with the podcast, the aim is to spread, uh, you know, Lindy wisdom. So I would say that 
it, it's it's rare and it's uh it's it's very good that you have that um because it says that i mean observing you anyway it means that you have you don't look internally too much in the sense of uh you're not obsessed you're not obsessed with the self which is what most of society is you know uh, obsessed with materialism and let's say putting up images on instagram and let me take 600 photos and then like spend hours finding the perfect one with the right editing and filter to put it up to get the right likes to then like this one example of many of like the obsession with the self to then get the validation to then feel good but people who are i mean i i speak with obviously a lot of people about everything in life but when i speak with some older people i realize the way they view society like just you're any random stranger in the street is if is as if that that is part of their own family is as if so like they may have several children of their own but when they see young people outside they see all the all the young people outside as children of their own as well so they have this view of the world of very much serving the world um of every of all of us as one uh rather than obsession with the self uh, which is where I find those people uh, which hold the same view as you, uh, they are the happiest and have the most peace in their lives, whereas the people who have the most obsession with self is are, are, are completely unhappy, really. Mm-hmm. So I'd say the roots of it you have, which is what more of the world needs. And then I would say, you know, if you're even helping uh, hundred, I mean, the beauty is we have the internet, so with leverage, our time is not limited on one-to-one help anymore. Uh, even if a hundred people listen and take those ideas away, there are so many things that come as a result of those hundred people's actions or, again, infinite random variables at play in the world that you don't even see or hear or black swan events, etc. So I would say it's already more than enough and uh, it's it's better than majority of society, which a lot of people have obsession with the self. So, mm. um, yeah. I would say I wouldn't obsess over the magnitude of how many people necessarily being reached, which is obviously nice if a hundred thousand people are listening rather than a hundred or a thousand, but mm. still, regardless of that, uh, it's the fact that the, the intentions are right. The path is right. And then the work is being done. So mm. I wouldn't obsess too much over the numbers. Yeah. I think that's good advice. And um, there are ways you can imagine I can't remember, I was listening to a podcast, I can't remember who it was with. Oh, it was Charlie Munger. And he was saying he only invests in businesses which make a product that makes people or the world better. And I guess the the theory behind that is if it makes the world better, they're going to keep selling it, Um, which makes a lot of sense. Um, Where was I going with that? Yeah, so if you make content that makes the world better, it's going to keep being valuable. And people are going to keep, it's only going to get more popular. Yeah. The risk, the worst case scenario is you die before the majority realize that you were right. And I say like you are right from like, in terms of like we're talking about Lindy knowledge, like lots of these things we're talking about, you can't disprove it with logic. So it's, mm-hmm. I would consider that like foundational um, knowledge. But then I guess the best case scenario is, and I can see this happening to be honest, like say you've seen it with the founders podcast. Have you seen that on Twitter? Like they've done like 300 episodes and it goes through yeah, all yeah. people's books and stuff. Yeah. And then it, 
someone who's big and respected could be like this podcast of this person who I don't know if the founders ever had a business or anything, but he's just so good at surfacing the knowledge that people like, I'm pretty sure Elon, I don't know if Elon's retweets them, but you can imagine a world where Elon would sure, retweet sure. your podcast and say, yeah, yeah. this is where you want to find this knowledge. Yeah. And then that would bring the masses to it. So there are ways it can happen. I'm hopeful. Yeah, there are ways it could definitely happen. Um, his, his story is very interesting, by the way, because uh, David Senra, I believe he had a business of his own in like the car detailing business, mm. completely unrelated to anything that, that is on the internet, car detailing business. And he absolutely like hardcore grinding on that for, I don't know how long, seven years, eight years, um, and then sold it. Uh, and then with the money, had enough runway to just float around, roam around. He's like, oh my, my true obsession is just reading biographies and talking about them. I just want to do this podcast thing. And you can hear his episodes from six, seven years, seven years ago, I believe. For like the first five years, no one's listening, but he's fine. He just kept going because he didn't need to work or pay bills. He could do it full time. And it's doing it full time with the compounding and the consistency that eventually pays off. If obviously, again, it will be fooled by randomness to say that that's the only thing that will pay off because you could have like an annoying voice or you could have whatever things, the wrong timing, or he was also at the right timing. And then obviously... Patrick O'Shaughnessy came across his work who then uh, kind of helped um, put him on the map and a lot of things obviously had to, had to go right. But the the root, roots of it really goes back to kind of the five, six bullet points I said on the meaning of life, which is saving up enough runway that allows you to do what feels like play and doesn't feel like work. And if you do it long enough, eventually, you know, as Mark Andreessen says, you, you, you uh, I can't remember the exact quote, but if you're really obsessed and you bend the world to your will, eventually things will go your way, mm. um, you know, and, and tying it with, with life's work and feels like play eventually. And, and if you have a, uh, you know, some, some brain cells and you're doing things right, you know, you're not just like after, okay, after uh, 200 episodes, like I still have 10 listeners, then of course you're doing something wrong. Like he saw the compounding, um, he had paying customers in a private listeners group and stuff, yeah. but that's the story. Yeah. I think, uh, what he's doing is great. Um, but I would say what my co-founder Iman made a good analysis of, and we're huge fans of what David's doing, but he said, the reason a lot of people also love what David's doing is because he's a great speaker, but when he speaks, he acts as like a therapist to a lot of founders. So if a founder who's going through a lot of struggle is listening to David Senra and David Sender is talking about, for example, Dyson did this, 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 and then the 6,000th rejection and whatever. And then he talks about, he adds his own commentary on it. And deep down, it's giving a lot of, um, because maybe most founders don't go to therapy or they can't afford it or don't have the time for it or never think about it uh, or it's stigmatized. And then deep down, they feel understood. So it builds this strong emotional bond or connection to David Sendra. And then also he's productized himself great. He's a great speaker. Um, and it's his obsession. You could see it feels like play to him. Like he's had offers to start funds and stuff. He's like, I'm not interested. Like I could make more money. I'm not interested. This is all I want to do. I just wow. want to lock myself in a room, read for hours a day and then talk about it and then spend time with my family. And like, that's basically it. So that's awesome. yeah, go, I think it, one thing that I'm, I'm really passionate about is that everyone i mean most people don't think about what their life's work would be but for the people that do i think everyone deserves and should be able to devote themselves to their life's work but unfortunately modern society 
largest expenses being like housing and education. Okay, people could forego the education piece with the way the world's shifting. If people could just lower their burn, forego the materialistic goods, focus on increasing runway, saving enough enough of a micro FU fund that covers the housing part for two years, even at least a year, but two, three years, whatever. And then you just swing at it, keep going on your life's work and what feels like play, yeah. which is what David Sender did. Same thing with Chris Williamson of Modern Wisdom. He was in yeah. the nightclub promotion business. The business got so big and good that towards the end, I think he was getting to the point of selling the business or it, it was operating for him well enough through like the leverage of labor. He had employees working for him, mm-hmm. but it was getting to a point where he was genuinely interested in doing this podcasting and just seeking more like knowledge and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he was getting to the point of selling the business. So he had, and he had rental properties that was giving him income. So he didn't have to work. He didn't have to worry about bills just focused on this, just focus on the podcast. So if you just, it's, and, and Vizzy liked this tweet that I had as well, which I read out earlier about the meaning of life. Really the first thing people should be doing is focusing on this micro FU fund, gaining the independence and then doing what feels like play. And then eventually you earn from what feels like play. And then you just hopefully will never have to work again in a bullshit job. Yeah. I also, that is definitely the right strategy. I think there's different ways you can do it. And it, in terms of absolutely my approach which might make it like less durable for people is i've not got a runway i quit my job with no runway probably probably slightly rash actually <laughs> like literally no rash. it makes sense it makes sense i understand the corporate pain uh, yeah it was from yeah. like my experience in banking and stuff so yeah i get it what you're saying earlier about like in corporate i was so stressed not because of the even the workload just from being asked to do stuff that has no value to anyone and it's just like a manager's telling you to do it just because you should I just, there's a that, great great book called my soul a great book called bullshit jobs by the way before you uh you continue which uh okay, bullshit nice. jobs written by an lse professor i believe who uh awesome book but but yeah please that, it, it touches on what you just said it has no bit like most of these jobs could be wiped off the earth and it had no impact yeah. on anything like yeah, it's bullshit. Yeah, yeah. yeah so i felt like I had to make the leap because that feeling of like my soul dying was just, I noticed my creativity is just nowhere to be seen at that point. Cause every day I'm like, Oh, I'm not hopeful. Hope is what you need to make your ideas happen. Cause you don't have hope. You have the idea and you're like, Oh, I can't be asked. Yeah. 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 So I knew that I was never going to get anywhere. And I wasn't even going to be able to build runway, even trying to do my business on the side whilst I had that job. That's how much it killed me. Mm-hmm. So I had no choice. Well, that's what it feels like. But then so now, as you, I, I had been learning how to design for years before that. So now I've got like a high paid skill where mm-hmm. I suppose you could see it as like, I, I get some design work. It pays me well for my hourly time, which frees up some other time to do things like the podcast or DJing and mm-hmm. just other exploring and learning. So I'm like building loads of tiny micro runways, which is a more stressful and chaotic approach. So it suits, that suits me weirdly. It might not suit someone else, but. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be like you wait until you have three years of runway to do it. You can like do it in chunks, I guess. There's different ways of doing it. But I'd say that the blessing we have is that, again, in the Western world, minus America, where you'd be on the street if like whatever. But for the most part, like having been raised in England and lived there pretty much most of my life, the culture in countries like England or Germany or Western Europe is that you, you'll never really someone who has such ambitions and aspirations 
well, the basic needs of life are food, water, shelter. Well, water, yes, it's not filtered, but water you get from the tap. Food, sure. And then the shelter piece is really the only other expense, which I said is the biggest expense for humans. So worst case, people could just move back with their family or crash on a friend's couch or whatever, or even just go and get another shit job, which they don't want to do, but do it for a year and save up and then have more runway again or something. But I totally hear you on the just draining like aspects of these corporate jobs. When I was in investment banking, one hour of working in investment banking would drain me more than 18 hours of working on my own business. Mm. Like it's just undescribable. It's, uh, it's insanity because it's bullshit. It's, it's inauthentic, right? It's not normal to the human condition. And even though you know it's bullshit, you can't escape the fact that if your manager sends you an angry message at 4 p.m. or 9 a.m., you get a spike of stress and that's enough to like throw off your morning or whatever. Like you can... Yeah, yeah. Or even just the idea of commuting to an office, like you miss one train and then the next one. And the whole thing's just horse shit. Like it's not Daniel Vasalo talks about this a lot, the smallbets.com guy and how human the nine to five is not normal to the human condition for like for all of history we've been roaming around hunting killing and then like you'll get the meat you'll chill for a few days by this tree with your tribe and then okay you'll start walking it's always random it's it's like a lot of novelty and no day is the same whereas now it's like every day even if you don't feel like doing this work or you don't have the inspiration to like write this email you still have to do it like every day nine to five is the same which is why the hours fly by. So like you're like, shit, this year's gone by again as well. Another year gone by. You're just doing the same shit day in, day out. So your time is just, you don't have novel experiences as well. So, And I found there's lots of courses, like you can sign up to do courses on stuff like leadership. Sorry. You can't, you can learn the theory of leadership, but it doesn't mean anything until you've mm-hmm. led someone. It really doesn't like, so it just seemed crazy. And then the other thing is, Maybe this is something I'm in my twenties, so I think that's a different there's different stages of life. I don't have kids, I don't have no one relies on me. So mm-hmm. I've been able to make like a slightly reckless financial decision and it's it's like fortunately with the help of I'm not proud to say, but like credit cards and stuff, I'm mm-hmm. balancing that. Mm-hmm. But I'm confident in myself to be able to get out of that and we'll see if that blows up. But what, as you say, what's the worst that can happen? I go back and sleep on my mum's sofa. It's not the end of the world. It's better than losing my mind. Um, where was I going with that? What was my point before? Uh, corporate discussion just around corporate jobs and the unnatural nine to five process. Oh yeah. Now that I'm not in the nine to five, I go out more in the day and I think, especially with the internet becoming such a big tool where people are spending so much time, you don't realize how much, just from like going out and doing stuff, you're training so many parts of you, like your soft skills. Mm-hmm. Every, most interactions when you go out, if you say hi to someone, you can build your soft skills and sales skills or like being kind to people, or whatever you want to call it. Like DJ mm-hmm. could say, people could look at that and say like, that's a waste of your time, but yeah, when I go into it, I'm very nervous. I'm scared to go into a new place. I'm worried what's going to happen, and then that builds your character a bit. And I feel like, yeah, people don't get out enough. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, even something like DJing, you have, uh, I believe his name is Akira the Don, who's like, who's a DJ, and he's done mixes of Naval speeches into like, I think oh, I've deep always thought of doing that deep house kind of music, and then Naval co-signed him, and then they did some 
rooms together on I think it wasn't Clubhouse somewhere else I can't remember but point is like it goes back to Naval saying combining or skill stacking combining multiple skills at once mm. and then you're just this unique one of one you've productized yourself yeah just doing what feels like play but the biggest concern of like how people are just not able to do that and feel like what feels like playing keeps swinging at it until they keep iterating and getting it right and iteration obviously the whole Taleb notion of you keep iterating until you keep tinkering until it works through trial and error, which is just how the world has always been. The only thing preventing people from doing that in the tinkering at their life's work or what feels like play until making it work, the only thing preventing that is just the whole runway and, and the burn. And that's really mostly just housing, which is the largest expense for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, I think to like wrap that up, um, uh, it's really just having rare and valuable skills like for now anyway code or design uh or whatever and being able to do some contract work or have some jobs and then just build that runway and lower the burn but everyone should be focusing on just life's work what feels like play and also just lifestyle design having enough time to just be bored and do absolutely nothing and not follow a set schedule basically because i think this whole obsession with whether it's corporate nine to five or whether it's your hustle bros get up at 4am every day, cold plunge and six hour morning routine that that's horse shit as well. So the human state is to just whatever you feel like at the time, basically that's obviously you have duties as well, but it's not a set same routine every single day. And there's periods you might have to go through the routine, right? Like this whole monk mode thing of you're trying to build the initial base of the business until it brings in revenue until it brings in enough cash flow to even cover the burn, sure. Yeah. But beyond that, like to have this long term, it's not a sustainable thing. You go insane. Like I years ago, I've done all this stuff, like years on end, every single day meditation and all the other shit and cold showers and like your Wim Hof breathing technique I was doing in like 2016 or whatever. Like just all this shit. It's just that you go through periods, but there's no point telling people until they experience it themselves, really, which goes back yeah. to not yeah. giving unsolicited advice. Yeah. The benefit is that whenever you do the challenge, even if you don't keep it up, the discipline you you develop is I'm sure that stays with you. But um exactly. going back to something you said earlier where you said my question was a good question because I couldn't have prepared for it. Lots of things like say waking up at six AM every day and doing your exercise, in a way, that's a form of preparation because you're saying, I'm gonna do all these things so I'm prepared one day to do some unknown mm. char task or challenge. And mm. I feel like Lots of people try to reduce their anxiety about achieving a goal by over-preparing. Like you can see this mm-hmm. at university. There's loads of people around me who are like revising all year, doing their coursework on time, like two weeks ahead of the thing. And then we end up getting the same grade. And I did it all in the last two weeks. With DJing, I would love to prepare more. And definitely there's some things where being prepared is helpful. Like DJing is relatively easy compared to like playing the violin. Mm-hmm. So, but then I usually leave that last minute and that, that has always gone well and we always get good feedback. I feel like like this podcast, there's like a guy called Danny Miranda and he does amazing yeah, work. And I know. part of his thing is how good his, how in depth his research is. So that's his thing. But I've often seen that and be like, okay, I need to spend a day like researching. But as coming back to what I was saying earlier, because I'm doing so many things and having conversations with people through my business and in life, I have lots of thoughts at the ready. So I feel like it doesn't take as much preparation because I'm already thinking about stuff all the time. So I guess that's also a massive credit to people like yourself because 
you've got you're just spraying interesting things everywhere so stuff i can latch onto. and maybe if it was someone who didn't do that it would be harder to have a good conversation but i feel like there's do you think that's a thing where people are over prepared to reduce anxiety for some reason and maybe they don't need to they can trust that if they just jump off the ledge they'll be okay or do you think i'm being I think there's two sides to it. One is sure. Uh, and, and sorry, I have like a, in about 10 minutes, I got a hard stop if that's okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're going to have to do another one <laughs> for sure. For sure. Uh, maybe even in person, but, uh, yeah, yeah. but yeah, I think the, the over preparation thing is like, there's two sides to it. One is your argument. And then to still man, the argument is, well, someone like Danny Miranda, as you said, he does heaps of research and then it, most people are like wow i can't believe how did you find that out without me um again i don't know it's it's like uh the world is so random um i wouldn't have an exact answer mm. but i would lean more towards the side of preparation for most like serious things so like one of the reasons the podcast with uh iman and i these lindy book episodes we're doing now is taking so long to release each one because obviously we're very busy and then to prep each episode takes probably like 40 hours because yeah. you've got to read a deep book, maybe even yeah. twice with a lot of notes and highlighting, get a document ready. Um, it's basically what kind of like what David Sender is doing, except he gets to do it full time. We have like 80 hours of doing other things per week. No, you're, so, you're basically, it's like writing a movie. That's, that's got what that's serious, serious work. Exactly. And so for that, you need to prep obviously properly. You can't just half-ass it. Yeah, uh, which hence the delay in, in product release right now because of obviously 80 hours doing other things per week, but we're still pushing to release. In an ideal world, once every two weeks, but right now it's looking a little more like once every month. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would lean probably more towards the side of preparation, but unless it's a creative endeavor like DJing or like uh, with some things, too much preparation makes it a robotic mechanical thing. Mm. And in the arts, you need to be of course, you need yeah. to get your reps and practice, but you also need to be dynamic and in the moments, you know, yeah, there's a human exactly. touch to it. So the creative aspect. Yeah. Maybe it's also kind of like depends on how many hours and reps you've already clocked. Like exactly. I've, I've clocked a lot of hours already. Like if you, if I asked you to go and do a code something, you wouldn't have to pre prepare and wake up 6am and learn every day. You'd have to mm -hmm. just go and do it. So maybe that comes into it. Yeah. Yeah. Charlie Munger is a big um, inspiration to you. And to a lot of people, I think yep. it just is like, again, comes back to timeless wisdom. He has timeless wisdom. And now throughout a lot of the things you've been saying and including about um, Taleb, there's a few things where I'm like, wisdom is timeless and someone can deliver lots of timeless wisdom. Mm -hmm. But there's also a chance that just because they've delivered some timeless wisdom doesn't mean all of their wisdom is timeless as they're also human. Agreed. Yeah. And I, I'm not sure how often people, once someone achieves like Lindy status, I don't know how much people challenge their ideas. So yeah. I was wondering about your opinions on this one thing specifically, which is that Charlie Munger is very anti crypto. Yeah. I knew where and, this was going. So is yeah. Taleb, by the way. So oh, is really? Taleb. He's written a whole paper on. Taleb was pro-ish crypto blockchain stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's a meme of him in his chair leaning back like this. And it's like Taleb published this paper on why Bitcoin is horse shit and changed his mind. And then Sol at the top basically 
and oh, uh, really? yeah yeah so oh. uh but yeah they're both but, but please continue yeah well i was just gonna ask for your thoughts on that because i was trying to rationalize it and i was like i i can't really understand why he thinks that yeah. even though i guess his argument is why it's used for criminal like gold is good enough like the idea that gold <laughs> is good enough is already flawed because you can't have a technology that's good enough sure sure yeah it's uh so firstly on on those two guys on or anyone would like once they get that lindy status or whatever you want to call it sure uh some people like treat them as gods or like every word is gospel and i think that in itself shows a sign of uh immaturity and like knowledge or whatever um manga himself or i mean talib himself has the whole strong opinions loosely held or manga himself says you know until you can say the opposing side's argument better than uh they can or whatever something like that so that i mean i agree with a lot of things they say but i i can't pinpoint exactly what i disagree with but i've come across some things where i'm like mm, i see things a bit differently from my own experience and these other sources that i've researched or these like a multitude of things i mash together for the most part they've influenced me heavily but yes there are still some things i, I disagree with and then the crypto piece that's a funny one because few years ago this was like during the ico boom years ago when the space was still relatively early um i like dabbled in the space for a few months like with uh with startups and stuff uh in the crypto blockchain space working on like some fun projects with them and then after after five months i basically left the space completely um because i saw that i still have friends to this day uh, who uh one of them being joshua owen who is the founder of uh, Byzantium and now I rebranded to Indexer.xyz, I believe. Uh, he's raised $4 million building a phenomenal crypto startup. Um, I even said this to him recently and he agreed. And I said 99% of the space just scammers and fraudsters. He's like, I agree. And I'm like, there's like 1% or 2% who are building real. Like you understand the theory behind it and they're putting it into practice. They're trying to build real solutions to problems rather than just make things for problems that don't exist, which is most of the space. Um, and he agreed. And when I was in the space five, six years ago, uh, or like five years ago, dabbling in it, one of the reasons I left is like 99% of the space, basically all the space I saw just smokes and mirrors fraudsters, like the entire crypto blockchain space, even the so-called reputable people backed by like the very credible institutions and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, you know, and then that's what caused me to go even deeper down the manga Taleb rabbit hole, which is the complete opposite end of crypto. It's like the complete rational side of uh, finance, finance, financial markets, finance, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then I saw the boom and then the bus and all this shit. And then I've, I've read, obviously, a lot of manga and Taleb's views, Taleb's paper, which wrecks Bitcoin crypto. And the notion is that if you buy a stock, it pays you dividends. If you own real estate, it pays you rent. Like, what the fuck does crypto do? What, what does Bitcoin do? Um, and then some argue it's a store of value like gold. And he's like, no, it's not because a real store of value would need to be tangible. Or Notions like this, basically. And then Munger obviously has endless arguments online people can go and listen to. Um, so I was very much in their camp for a long time with agreeing with them. But even recently, again, which is why I should always be open to like kind of having an open mind or maybe challenging yourself. Even recently, I said to myself, hang on a minute. I know still much of the space is full of fraudsters. 
but there are some there must be some there may be there may be some not there must there may be some uh real world tangible use for this kind of technology um for some projects or some unfound projects yeah so let me go and deeply research go down this rabbit hole of understanding more about this space um which i haven't really yet started so i'm open to the idea of having my mind challenged and uh i have a, as i said a couple of very very strong technically gifted friends in the space building awesome products who have like been sending me more papers and research stuff to read and i just haven't had the time to go down that rabbit hole it's something i want to go down um and then i may eventually hopefully emerge from the rabbit hole with an answer of no i'm not changing my mind on the crypto thing or actually yeah um like you know in some aspects pro but but yeah it's uh that's basically it i don't have enough of a formed uh literally what munga says he says you shouldn't be able to argue for the opposing side unless you have an argument stronger than they do or you can argue for it better than for your own argument of why you're on this side so i don't yet uh i haven't yet developed that yeah, that's very, that's fair enough. I, I agree. Like I was into it for a bit and then I sort of made some money and then the market crashed. And at that point I didn't have any crypto left, but then I was like, I actually need to make money today. So I can't just be YOLOing on random coins. So I started learning yeah. a skill that could be used in any of area course. of life, not just in crypto. I mean, as, a, as an investment class, it's not really an investment class. It's a completely speculative asset. It's a, it's gambling essentially. Yeah, um, but I just I would die on the hill that I think crypto is going to happen in some form or another. Like we might be really early now, and it might not be any of the existing things. But I do think that even if it's just like internet money, <laughs> people say, "Oh, it's just internet money." Yeah. We all live on the internet now. That is a huge. That's very valuable to have. So I agree with you. I would. I'm also like waiting for a time because it's a big rabbit hole. The crypto, the crypto space. Yeah. There, there's, a, there's a lot of unknowns i mean in, in one way the whole idea of sovereignty which i'm very pro um but then there's this whole notion of there's a reason there's been government institutions or involvements historically um because humans left to their own accord there'll always be some bad actors without skin in the game or without repercussions yeah. or accountability yeah it's very tough it's it's very tricky to but yeah it's it's a it's probably the deepest rabbit hole that one needs to go down and i just and a lot of it will will evolve with time with without us even going down the rabbit hole it will it will show show itself whether it's i wouldn't say it's a lindy thing it's only been around for 10 15 years now mm-hmm. let's see if it's around another 15 years from now but even chris dixon who's i think the head of crypto andreessen horowitz um i think he's written this book recently read write own or something mm-hmm. and someone on twitter was talking about out of all the blockchain projects that uh, I think it was the pragmatic engineer. It's a guy called Gurgly on Twitter. He's a big Substack writer, probably the biggest Substack tech writer called the pragmatic engineer on Substack. And somewhere on Twitter, I, th- I think he wrote about of all the blockchain projects that have ever been funded by VCs, only one of them is actually profitable and has a real world use case and is solving problems in terms of like it solves some identity verification issues or something for government agencies. But as in like their customers, but in every other regard, they're all horse shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a good essay. If people Google the pragmatic engineer, and, uh, maybe they can find that, but it's true that not really anything tangible yeah. or useful has been built, but let's see. It's, it's still very early. Yeah. Yeah. And then just, I just want to add a point about the scammers. It's like some, it's kind of like innovating in financial 
organizations. So mm-hmm. even if people have the best intentions, it's very easy to miss a tiny mechanism, which means you end up screwing over all these people. So even if you don't mean to be a scammer, you can accidentally become a scammer. I mean, even if you look at like fucking Sequoia, uh, you read the meeting notes of how they were literally jerking off to the pitch of Sam Bankman Fried. Yeah. When FTX, when Sam was pitching FTX to Sequoia, who is the gold stud, the creme de la creme of all investors in history of Silicon Valley. It's like, yeah. when you think of the top, when you think of the Michael Jordans of VC, you're like Sequoia. Mm-hmm. And then even if you, you read the transcripts or notes from how they were messaging each other or jerking off to like, wow, this is like the best founder pitch I've ever heard or whatever. And just it goes back to why a lot of VC is bullshit. But yeah, I mean, they fell for that. And then they were putting him everywhere on like the Forbes cover and here and there. And this is the golden child. And look how he dresses and all this shit. Like it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's a lot of smoke and mirrors, but yeah. yeah. Definitely. I think um, it's interesting just to bring it back quickly. I'm not sure how much time we have, but about stocks you get paid dividends that i'm fine with but stocks that don't pay dividends what do you own even if you have loads of it say you bought i don't know let's take apple do pay dividends i believe but let's take apple if i have like a million even i have like 10 million of apple stock i can't go to apple headquarters and say that oh, i'm going to borrow some of this like your delivery vehicles i don't actually have any right to have any of the company if it doesn't pay me back then you actually, the only reason you would make money from that is if someone else buys it off you for more money. So that's a Ponzi scheme. Uh, not really, because with with financial, with, let's say you're talking about proper companies, like let's say an Apple, um, you're basically owning shares in the company. I understand where you're coming from, but you then own shares in the company and then the company is backed by governments and, and regulations as in the government requires them to file their uh you know, documents and taxes, they, they have to send their, their financials to an accountant that then files it legally. And then you can see you have these assets and then you have a, your shares technically. I know you can't go and say, right, Apple, I'm going to grab this 0.01% of your headquarters land and put my X mark on it because this is mine. It doesn't work that way due to the courts, but in, in practice, it doesn't, but in theory you do. And, uh, by, by government jurisdictions and legal paperwork, you own uh, a share of the company. So yeah. the government, all these legal things have had to be put into place to make it into sure. a stable system, which it's where I'm looking at crypto. And I'm like, I'm starting to see like a friend of mine found a company called Rug AI that checks if smart contracts are going to rug you or not. Um, and like that's like something that doesn't serve any purpose for humanity if crypto wasn't didn't exist. But it's, it serves to serve the crypto industry. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So in a way, yeah. that the, it comes a self-fulfilling cycle because everything starts serving itself and then you build like a house of cards, maybe. I mean, I was at one point when I went into the crypto space, it was because I was like anti all of this is horseshit, like government stuff. And it's just made by other human beings who are really scamming us through high taxes and all, all this. You go into the idea of sovereignty and stuff. But then you realize it goes back to the argument of when humans are left to their own accord and there's no skin in the game and no accountability, no repercussions, it just turns to shit, which is what the crypto space yeah. is. It's all scammers and fraudsters. Humans, if they were uh, benevolent actors, sure, but they're not, uh, when they're left to their own accord, there's always going to be scammers who unfortunately run each space. Yeah. So that's uh, it's, it's a very, it's a very long, deep discussion, but I, I hear because I've been on both sides of the argument and now I'm somewhere in the middle with no, it's probably one of the few things I don't have a strong uh, stance on. 
mm -hmm. uh, that I, I've researched because the research goes much deeper. So, mm. yeah, yeah, I respect that. I respect that answer as well. Yeah. Like, lots of people like trying to have an opinion and everything, but it's nice to, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm just quickly looking for my notes to make sure there's not anything that I really wanted to ask, but I think I'll have to save it for next time because. Please, yeah, we could, we could talk for hours. Our threads are too deep to fit in a five-minute slot before the end. But it's great to connect and meet someone as well-read and knowledgeable. And I feel like you're, I feel very like-minded to you. Um, like we do different things, but it's the same thing, like trying to, that your values align with me a lot. So, yeah, it's great to meet someone like you. And I'm grateful for you taking the time to have this conversation with me. It's a pleasure to meet, man. Uh, I'm humble. I love what you're doing and uh, appreciate you bringing me on and uh, by, by the kind comments there as well. I mean, I, I personally think I don't know shit as the classic saying of, goes of like, the more you learn, the more you realize like you don't know. Um, but yeah, that's uh, it's a never ending path to, I mean, all, all that I really care about beyond the whole lifestyle design, life's work and doing what feels like play and spreading Lindy wisdom is... Uh, um is I totally lost my trailer thought but is 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 basically um well not only helping others but leaving the world in a better place uh but is also this is what i was going to say is also leaving the world as a true erudite as someone truly knowledgeable not just someone who's read a bunch of shit and knows a bunch of stuff but a true true uh intellectual uh who you know for me the true meaning would be like multiple generations down the kids of kids of my kids of like many grandkids down the line will still be thinking of speaking about me and the wisdom that I spread down the bloodline rather than I mean everything else is mostly bullshit no one's really going to remember us a thousand years from now so uh but yeah that's that's yeah. that's it man and I appreciate you and uh look forward to a part two maybe in person or something in the future yeah definitely amen to that and yeah thanks all the best and catch up soon Pleasure. I appreciate you, man. Enjoy your weekend.